0: Hey there friends, welcome to Illuminating the Shadow with Britt Hampton. I'm Britt Hampton, your host and guide, and in this episode, I will be very much stepping into my own fear and discomfort as I face my fears and dive deep into the very darkness that I have been encouraging you all to shine a gentle light of awareness upon. So in this episode, I'm going to speak quite a bit more candidly about my own experience, Um, this is personal, (laughs) this is very scary to me and really vulnerable, but since I feel like I'm asking you all to be so brave and vulnerable in doing this hard work, then I must also be brave and vulnerable myself in modeling it for you. So I'm going to be doing the scary hard work right here in this episode right alongside you. So that discomfort that I spoke about in episode two That resistance that always seems to come up throughout the process of change and through the process of growth. That discomfort that I encouraged you all to try to reframe or to try to look at as growing pains and as a natural and innate process of the growth period, right? Well, in this episode, I will be very much stepping into that space of personal discomfort myself. I suspect that this episode will very much be my own little reflection of that resistance, of the fear that I'm facing, and of those growing pains that I spoke about. So in this episode of Illuminating the Shadow, I will be speaking about how my own journey has led me here, specifically in terms of how the evolution of my Sankalpa has led me here. So I'm going to speak pretty candidly about my journey, my journey in surrender, my journey in doing the hard work, and really looking at those deep-rooted seeds that I found underlying all my patterns, tendencies, in all my relationships and in the situations I found myself in. All of that has led me right here. And I mean, if we're being technical, really everything, everything to this point in my life has led me here and has led me to this. Has All led me to this place in time and to my new adventures in podcasting with you fine people, it has all led me right here to this lovely part of the journey where our paths cross. And so for that, I am so grateful for this opportunity to share with you. I'm so grateful for this opportunity to personally step into those hard spaces and to sit in the dark shadowy corners and to draw the light out of my experience by speaking about it, by giving it space and honor expression because as I tell you all I know I know that there is power in my voice and that there is medicine with in my story and I'm ready to share that medicine with you so I'm just so grateful for this opportunity all right it is a really beautiful gift for me personally to have this opportunity to transmute my challenges, to transmute my fears and my struggles into something healing and into something constructive and into something that I really, really hope serves you. And that's what I really hope to do here today. I thought here would be a good place to add in a little disclaimer. Um, This episode took some unexpected twists and turns and it took a direction that I hadn't quite anticipated. So in this episode and pertaining to my second Sankalpa in particular, there is some very sensitive material and some of you may find this material, for lack of a better term, triggering. So given that, I encourage you to take care of you above all else and to do what you need, whether that's skipping ahead or skipping this episode entirely or whatever. I also have included some timestamps into this episode show notes so you can pause or skip around um, if that's something that you need. If any mentions of self-inflicted harm, ideation, or death are a sensitive subject for you, I especially encourage you to be mindful of your own heart and of your own needs um, as I attempt to approach this material with the utmost tender and gentle care that it requires and deserves so this episode does contain some heavy emotion a little bit of crying and some very passionate language so it may not be appropriate for all ears or all ages and so i encourage you to use your own discretion in proceeding so in an effort to discuss these most sensitive subjects, with both a responsibility to remain firmly rooted in my own truth and in my own integrity, along with the gentle consideration that these most delicate topics both require and deserve, I felt it was necessary to add in this disclaimer and to also take a few other careful considerations before presenting this content to you. There is just so much hurt and pain in this world and it is my utmost intention above all else to not contribute any further to it and to above all else do no further harm. So I thought it was really important to run this episode past a couple of mental health professionals before releasing it publicly just to ensure that I am approaching this material with the most tender care that I possibly can. So with that being said, I want to thank you for showing up today and for joining me on whatever platform you find yourself listening on. I'm a little excited, but I'm mostly pretty nervous, actually, to have this opportunity to share with you today. As always, I love and I welcome any feedback, so please feel free to leave me a review on Spotify, Apple, Audible, or wherever else you may be listening today. And if you don't want to miss out on any future content from Illuminating the Shadow, well then I invite you to hit that follow or subscribe button if you feel inclined. So with this episode, it is my hope and my most heartfelt desire that something within this resonates with you. That there is something that you can take away or even something that just makes you feel inclined to reflect upon your own journey thus far, right? Where you are now the things and circumstances leading you here, and where you wanna go from here. So it is my most heartfelt intention that my own discomfort here in this episode, that it serves you in some way. And wherever you find yourself on this radical journey of life, this journey of self-awareness and radical self-acceptance, and on this journey together, I hope that you know that you're in good company. Doing the hard things is scary but you're not alone and neither am I now, right? So ready, let's do the hard things and let's do them together. All right, I'll go first. So just to give you a little bit of context, in the past and actually in the present moment too, I've always just been very private publicly, if that makes sense. So in the real life, I'm pretty open. I'm generally really outspoken And maybe even a little too open in real life or a little too blunt. Especially if I feel comfortable around you, right? But I tend to be very private with what I share, with what I choose to portray on social media and online and just publicly in general. I mean, if I'm going through the emotional ringer, I'm actually pretty apt to check out, right? And to take a break from social media, to not answer the phone when I don't feel up to it. So an example of this, um, when my baby brother passed away earlier in the pandemic in 2020, I didn't speak about it publicly. I reached out to who I knew could love and support me. I increased my therapy sessions and I deleted all of my social media apps from my phone. I took a full on eight month hiatus, just detox from the world. And when I was finally ready to return to social media I didn't announce anything publicly and there were a number of reasons for this. Some of them being that I'm just really private and I didn't have the heart to respond to the incoming influx of messages, questions, or condolences. And also, I wasn't ready to deal with anybody's pity. I wasn't ready for anyone's prayers yet. And. So I'm not saying that this method of coping that I did or that I'm sharing with you now is the end all be all or that it's even a good way to go about things. It may not be for you and that's totally fine. But what I know is for me that this was exactly what I needed. This was exactly what I needed and so this space was what I gave myself. And so I'm using this example to show you just how much I'm going to be stepping into that discomfort really stepping into that vulnerability, and really stepping into my own fear in this episode. So, I ask you to keep that in mind, and to please be patient with me. This podcast thing definitely has a learning curve, and I am absolutely learning and growing right alongside with you. And I sure did not think that I would be talking about what I'm planning on discussing here today, just this early in our journey together. I really... I thought that there would be more of a grace period and I'd get to it eventually. I thought there'd be more time to get comfortable with the whole podcast thing, right? But somehow here we are. So let's just jump on in, right? So the last time we talked in episode two, we talked about big goals and we talked about breaking those big goals down into bite-sized chunks. So building upon that, I will be discussing a bit about Sankalpas in this episode what they are, how they have been used historically, and how you can implement them in your own intentional practices at home. I also have a bonus episode that accompanies this one in which we'll dive deeper into Sankalpas, and there will actually be an exercise that guides you through the process of developing your own working Sankalpa to implement in your own practices at home. So if that's something that resonates with you or that serves you, please keep a lookout for that. As I stated before, I will be doing the scary and hard work of illuminating the shadow here with you all today as I seek out to embrace my own fears and the discomfort of my own growing pains by sharing with you the evolution of my sankalpas, along with a bit about the underlying issues, the themes and patterns that I was really working through at those times through those sankalpas, right? So I will be sharing about how the sankalpa, I am Currently, working on how it has directly led me right here and to you and to this journey we find ourselves on right together now. So, for our journey today, all you will need is a curious mind, an open heart, and maybe a little bit of patience with me as we fumble our ways through these dark and shadowy corners together. All right, so let's get into it. What is a Sankalpa? A sankalpa is a seed of intention that you plant deep within your subconscious mind. You conscientiously come back and water and nurture the seed of intention anytime you revisit your sankalpa. So anytime you say it out loud, anytime you write it, even anytime you think your sankalpa, you are nurturing it. Your sankalpa is said to be your most heartfelt desire. It is spoken in present tense language And it is stated as if it already is so traditionally a sankalpa is nourished and is recalled during the practice of yoga nidra however a sankalpa can be utilized and nurtured in any way you see fit so if yoga isn't your thing and if you have no desire to ever attend a yoga nidra class a sankalpa can still be a vital and super intentional tool and resource for you to use A yoga mentor of mine that I really admire once described a Sankalpa as a personal mission statement that has a seed of selflessness in it. And I just thought that this was such a beautiful way to explain what a Sankalpa was, and so I wanted to share that with you. So in the last episode of Illuminating the Shadow, we discussed some different methods of intention setting and some different ways to meet your goals with intention. In this episode, we will be building upon that basis. But first, I think it's really important to distinguish and to discuss the differences between a Sankalpa and between a goal. So goals, like we discussed in the last episode, they're characterized by this tendency to have a definite end mark, right? Whereas a Sankalpa, a Sankalpa tends to evolve. It grows over time and very slowly, in my experience, it changes and grows along with you. So we have this tendency to look at goals as being met, goal achieved, level up, right? And then there's some opposite end of the spectrum. Sometimes we perceive our goals as unmet. Sometimes we perceive those unmet goals as a failing, shoulda, coulda, woulda, a shortcoming of some kind. So a Sankalpa is very different in this respect. It evolves and it grows alongside you because it's your most heartfelt desire, right? And that little seed of intention that you plant in your Sankalpa, in your heart, well, you can't really stray too far away from it because no matter where you find yourself, that seed of intention originating from your heart space, you always carry your heart space with you. So you're never far away from it, right? I mean, there might be periods of active and visible growth, where you can literally see the progression of your Sankalpa in action. But there will also be periods of time where you feel stagnant, stuck, where progress seems a little out of reach, and maybe your Sankalpa is on the back burner, right? Because just because we get stuck in the mud, or we take a little rest or detour on our paths, it doesn't mean that we aren't still on our paths, that we aren't still exactly where we need to be. So just because we perceive things, our situations, life's ordeals, just because we perceive them to be stuck or at a standstill or stagnant in some way, it doesn't mean that we aren't doing the work and that we aren't exactly, exactly where we should be. So when your Sankalpa is on the back burner, you're still doing the work. Sometimes your work is just slowly simmering on the back burner rather than bubbling over and requiring your immediate and direct attention now. And that's okay, too. All right, so we're going to start talking about the evolution of my Sankalpa. All right? Um, My first Sankalpa, I worked on conscientiously for about three years. And that Sankalpa was, I am worthy of receiving the love that I extend to others. At the time that I developed my first Sankalpa, I had these repeating patterns in my relationships that I had begun to recognized as problematic, right? I mean, in some cases, they were downright toxic or even abusive, but overall, this process and these patterns, they were hurtful, right? I saw these cycles repeating in my friendships, in my romantic relationships, in my relationships in my family. Across the board, I perceived and experienced this notable imbalance in nearly all of my relationships and throughout my life, right? So the more this pattern went unrecognized, the more it plagued my life and my experience and all of my relationship dynamics, with very few exceptions. So at the time, I recognized it as a cycle um, in which I was giving way more than I was receiving. And then I kept finding myself just feeling drained, really depleted, exhausted, burnt out, and depressed, right? I kept feeling like my efforts were wasted and like the people I loved couldn't really see me. Um, It was very frustrating. And then I would fall into my own cycles, cycles of anxiety, cycles of depression. I noticed how this pattern, how it seemed to feed off each other and then I began to notice that my depression and my anxiety symptoms, well, they seem to be really stimulated or even provoked by this pattern of imbalance in my relationships and of the cycle that I just kept seeing repeating in my life. So at the time, I think that I really craved reciprocity or some kind of mutually beneficial give and take in my relationships, but I always found myself in the cycle of just overextending myself, giving beyond my means, and it always felt like no matter how much I gave, how hard I tried, or who I gave to, I was never able to give enough to receive it back in return. So there were a few exceptions to this pattern that I should note. Um, my siblings, I had two little brothers and two little sisters, my childhood best friend, and my daughter were really the only big exceptions to this rule. and. These were also the people that I was the most comfortable with. These were the people where I could really be all of myself in all of my ways, all of the time around, right? I never had to perform for these people. I never had to play nice to win their approval. I never had to water myself down to something more digestible for these people. And I never had to tiptoe around them. These were my people these were the people that saw me and that loved me anyway. In all of my fucked up glory, they just always loved and accepted me. Even even when I didn't know how to love or accept myself, somehow they did. And even though they aren't all here living on this physical plane right now, I know that they still do. And I am so grateful to all of them for that. And I really hope that we all have a few people like that in our lives, right? That we all have some people that, that we just can really let our guards down around, that we can just really be ourselves around, you know? So for the most part, there was this repeating pattern that I began to become increasingly aware of, right? There was this pattern and this tendency. It led me towards a lot of heartbreak, <laughs> heartache, I ended up putting myself in some really difficult situations that could have been avoided. And I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Sometimes I think the hard way is the only way I learn. Anyway, I found myself in these situations where I was loaning money to people that I didn't have, my discernment wasn't the best, and so a lot of the people that I considered to be friends taught me some some hard lessons the hard way, right? And then there was this super cool cycle that Jess kept repeating, in which I was basically overextended, overextended emotionally, physically, financially, all the ways, right? I just overextend myself so willingly. And then my quote unquote friend would just disappear shortly after. Some of them only reappearing years later to ask for more money. So I did some stupid things. I added people to my phone plan, I co signed things that never involved me, I put myself through a lot of financial and emotional strain, I messed up my credit playing out this pattern over and over again, and for some god-awful reason, I just kept trying. I just kept trying to love more, to give more, to be more generous, right, in the hopes that the other person would see my efforts and appreciate it, and just see me, you know, does that make sense? So not receiving the mutually beneficial exchange with others that I wanted, it made me try to love even harder. And I know that that sounds crazy, but that whole kill them with kindness approach really did not work for me. All right, so eventually I'm starting to feel really depleted, really discouraged, really depressed. I'm feeling lonely all the time, even when the room was crowded and full of people. I started to notice that these super imbalanced exchanges and these shallow interactions, that they made me feel drained. They made me feel physically drained, spiritually drained, energetically drained, and literally left me feeling achy and tired, right? So my cup was empty, my well was dry, and here I was still trying to pour from it. And so about this time, I began to understand And I began to see this theme a little bit differently. I began to realize that there were some really profound underlying issues that I was really struggling with. And those issues had to do with some super deep rooted patterns and themes that had been presenting all throughout my life and that I had been playing out since my childhood, okay? So the more I began to explore these patterns and these themes, the more I began to see the root causes and just how long I had been allowing these patterns to play out and to continue. I had been allowing these, right? So only when I was able to really draw my awareness to this super limiting and self-imposed construct that I found myself tangled up within, it was only then that I realized that the underlying issues that I was working on, they had less to do with the imbalance in my relationships Um, And they had even less to do with the give-and-take aspects of my relationships that I was so focused on. And I was really surprised to find out that they had more to do with my own personal issues internally that I was struggling with and that I wasn't quite aware of at the time, right? They had more to do with my own issues of self-worth, issues with self-esteem, Um, And my issues with boundaries, or a severe lack of them, I should say. But who would think, right? So it took me almost three years to realize that the underlying root of this whole challenge that I perceived to be some sort of energetic imbalance within my relationships, it literally had nothing to do with what I thought I was working on. and. That was literally within my sankalpa the whole time and it took me almost three years to see it, okay? I am worthy of the love that I extend to others. Worthy, right there the whole time. I didn't see myself as worthy. I wasn't ever taught that I was worthy, ever. I never felt lovable or easily accepted I always felt like I was too much, like I was a hard pill to swallow, right? And um, I think a lot of that came down to my childhood, you know. Um, I wasn't I wasn't taught <laughs> that. That was not my experience. Um, my mom wasn't the kind of mom that asked me about my day. Um, my mom wasn't the kind of mom that said that she loved me. In fact, She really struggled telling any of us five kids that she loved any of us, you know? Um, I had a mom that, that struggled with her mental health as well. And I was always taught that I needed to prove myself, that I needed to prove my worth. And there was this pattern that played out with my mom, right, and it didn't matter how much I strived, how hard I worked, or how high I reached. She would always just increase the bar up the ante, increase the expectation, and then bam, the whole game would suddenly be redefined. New rules, new game, new everything, right? So I'm reflecting on this as an adult, and now as an adult, I understand that this whole pattern that was playing out, it was a giant trauma response. It was a survival mechanism that served me for a long time until it didn't. It kept me safe when things weren't safe. It kept me safe when I was in survival mode. It held me and it carried me for a time. But then I began to understand and as I began to understand and reframe this pattern differently, in doing so, I transitioned out of this poor me, victim version of myself and I began to instead see myself as a sort of author, writing my story, reframing my narrative, as I rediscovered myself, I redefined my narrative. I didn't understand when I started the Sankalpa, um, that people treat you exactly how you allow them to treat you. I'm going to say that one again. People treat you exactly how you allow them to treat you. I should note that my mother is probably the only exception to this. Well. And there are a lot of like underlying issues for that that I'm not really going to get into here, but for the most part, this really holds true with very few exceptions. We literally show people how to treat us. We show them the very behaviors that we find acceptable and these behaviors and tendencies are directly reflective in the boundaries that we set forth with others. So I know that this is a challenging statement for some of you to consider. So we're gonna be exploring that concept a bit more in depth in the next upcoming episodes. Today I'm just planting that seed of awareness where we will circle back in episode four to dive a bit more deep into the discussion about boundaries and self-worth. So the big takeaway that I'd like for you to entertain from me sharing this first-hand couple with you is that sometimes we think that the problem or the solution lies within the other party, lies within the other. We think that it's not even in our court, right? But sometimes the things that we see reflected in the people around us and in the other, sometimes the things we see reflecting back to us in others, sometimes those things are really the parts of ourselves that we might not be ready to see yet. So this Sankalpa, it held me it served me and it propelled me really deep into my own shadow work. It led me towards a spiritual awakening and it has led me back to my journey in therapy, my journey in EMDR, back into school and back into my studies with san- with psychology. The Sankalpa, it's led me through my own self-care journey and it's led me through my own inner child work and in reparenting myself through reparenting my child or through parenting my child, I should say. So, by acting to nurture and to honor my own inner child, and by being the mom that I craved as a child, you know, um, for my own little girl, I accidentally learned how to reparent myself, and in doing so, reparented my own inner child. My vow of radical self-awareness and self-acceptance, it led me to self-care, unexpected self-love, and more hard work. My inner child work, my work in therapy, and the act of conscientiously reparenting and nurturing my own inner child in the ways that I parent, in the ways that I advocate and show up for my own daughter has led me to an underlying root issue that I was aware, unaware of for a long time. And with this new understanding, my Sankalpa began to grow and it began to evolve right along with me. So as my Sankalpa began to evolve, the second Sankalpa that I began to work on, I worked on this one for another three years, was I am divinely guided and I am divinely cared for. I am divinely guided and I am divinely cared for. With this Sankalpa, I became really aware of my own trauma responses, my own trauma, and the childhood conditioning that I experienced. It became very clear that I had some really deep-rooted issues, issues with attachment, issues with abandonment. And those themes of attachment and abandonment had just hit an all-time low as I was experiencing, for lack of a better term, basically a mental breakdown along with my Saturn return. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Saturn returns are rough. Wait, that's an understatement. They are fucking brutal. I'm not going to talk about that too much now, but I may in future episodes. But you remember how I said in my first episode that I crawled through baptisms of fire and I felt myself consumed within the belly of the beast? Well, this was the time that I really cling to that Sankalpa. I am divinely guided and divinely cared for. I was experiencing the deepest depths of my own despair at that time, and the Sankalpa, it really held me. It held me when I couldn't even lift my own chin up. So around that time, I was really nurturing the Sankalpa. I was also really trying to find my way and to navigate through my own underworld, through my own personal hell. This was 2016, and I found myself completely abandoned once again. No, I'm not talking about the major breakup that I had that year, or the great purge of all the relationships and friendships that followed afterwards. I'm not talking about those things, All right. Um, I mean, I was was in literal hell. I was lost. I was hopeless. I was graveling with my own life's purpose and my own suicidal ideations. I was struggling to be a mom. I was really struggling to care for my kiddo and to care for myself. I was struggling with my dissociative tendencies and the physical ability to stay in my body. All right, I was really struggling to find the urge to continue on. And I was trying so hard to find the silver lining in the fucking shit show that I had found myself in. Everything felt so bleak, helpless, unending, and ever-consuming. And the main reason for that, um, the main reason why I felt so lost and so alone, well, it was the only time I ever really was alone like that without my one constant in life. So I'm not going to get into this too much, um, but I had a really traumatic upbringing, really abusive childhood, and I used to pray as a little girl that I would that I would go into a coma and that I'd maybe wake up when I was 18 years old. When I was a 12-year-old little girl, that was what I prayed night after night after night. But I had my one constant. I had my confidant. There was one person that I felt really close to and the safest around. He was the one person that always encouraged me, that wiped my tears, and that constantly reminded me, 18 and out. You just have to wait until you're 18 and out. You see, I wasn't alone in my trauma. My little brother Blake, he was always right there, right there with me. And we held each other. We held each other through all of the crazy shit. We held each other until the load was too heavy for him to carry. We tried to hold each other. We tried so hard and we still do, but it's different now. So my sweet brother, man, Blake, He tried to carry it all. He tried to carry it all, all right? Not just for me, but for everyone, because, well, that was just Blake. He was everyone's confidant. He knew how to hold such sweet and gentle space for others, and he knew how to do it innately, naturally. He was doing this before any of us were aware that that was what he was doing. He carried a lot of heavy things in his big beautiful heart, until that load got too heavy for him to carry. And I lost my brother Blake that year, in 2016, to depression. It felt like, it felt like he just slipped right through my fingers. It felt like it was somehow preventable. I felt like I had let everybody around me down. As the oldest, I was, I was always supposed to protect, and to carry, and to care for my younger siblings, and I really fucking tried. But when he left the way he did, my whole world went dark. It was like the rug was pulled directly out from under me, I had lost my footing, I found myself a sobbing pile on the floor, and I basically stayed like that for months. When he left, he took my rosy glasses with him, and I couldn't see the world the same as I had seen it before. In fact, I've never been able to see it the same since. So I found myself just utterly consumed, consumed by my grief, consumed by my helplessness. And then I had had the fear of, like, being abandoned before, right? Right. But I had never experienced it to the extent that I found myself experiencing it then. I mean, I felt truly alone, truly abandoned, orphaned, and so lost. I felt like I was weighing down everything and everyone around me. My heart space was like this deep, dark abyss that just kept craving and consuming more and more. I just kept falling deeper and deeper into the darkness of my depression and into this intense grief, right? I felt like I had dug myself in such a deep hole that I'd never reached the surface. That I'd never be where I was before. Right? And when I found myself there, there was nothing to do but to sit in that dark, hollow, and lonely place. There was nothing to do but to allow it to consume me. So, I allowed my darkness to consume me. I saw my grief as a testament to the depths of my love for my brother and that love that I had for him was so misplaced in his absence. I just, I allowed myself to just sink deeper and deeper into my own abyss. There was nowhere to go. There was no conceivable way out. But little did I know that the darkness of this deep abyss the belly of this beast that I found myself consumed by. Well, this was no ordinary beast and this was no ordinary belly. And slowly I began to understand that everything I thought I knew about life and about death, it was wrong. All of it. Everything I thought I knew about life and death was wrong. Everything I had been taught was wrong. I began to understand that nothing really moves linear right nothing is a straight line or rather very few things death and life are cyclic death is as much a part of life as life itself is death is natural and death is what happens for all of us at the end of our stories and i began to see that although my brother had died and had died very tragically in a way that, that i hadn't necessarily perceived to be preventable i began to see that he was not really gone I could feel him, and sometimes, if I could quiet down enough, he would show me little signs and little messages to show me that he was there with me. Still, no, he wasn't there in his physical form, but irregardless, he was there, and I could feel him, and so I kept repeating to myself, I am divinely guided, and I am divinely cared for. This sancalpa served me, and it held me when I felt the most alone that I would ever felt, and when I was ready, and when I had accepted that I really needed help and that I couldn't do this hard work again, my sankalpa guided me towards a beautiful man, a shaman, and a Reiki healer, who helped me to release some of the blocks plaguing my heart center, and he helped me to dive deep into my own healing process and save grief work. So I dived deep into my own therapeutic processes. I worked with a very special trauma therapist that specialized in grief and traumatic loss, and she helped me with EMDR. This sankalpa has led me through my own journey with Reiki healing, which eventually led me to pursue the deep study of shamanic practices and my own journey as a Reiki healer and Reiki master. And I just kept repeating to myself, I am divinely guided and I am divinely cared for. This sankalpa, it served me solidly for three years. I nurtured and repeated the sankalpa, like a mantra for three years and in fact I didn't stop with the Sankalpa until I can't believe I'm saying this out loud and publicly but um, here I go just putting myself out there and doing the scary and hard work of embracing my own discomfort with you right I worked with the Sankalpa I held it close in my heart until I could literally hear the voice of my brother Blake in my head. I could hear my deceased grandparents. I could hear my guides and ancestors. I could hear all of them. So at first I thought I was going crazy, (laughs) falling into some other dark and mysterious abyss. At first I thought I must just miss my brother so bad that I'm imagining all of this, that I'm romanticizing or fabricating it in my head with all this heavy emotion and grief. So at first I was really scared. I was really embarrassed to talk about this and I did not wanna tell my therapist about my experiences. I thought, you can't just go around telling people you hear dead people in your head, right? Cause that's crazy, right? So I did what I knew to do at the time. I thought, you can't possibly be communicating with dead people in your head. So I went to a professional for a second opinion. Actually, I went to two. I went to two professionals that specialize in mediumship and talking to deaf people. The first one confirmed that I was not crazy and that I was actually very spiritually inclined. She literally asked me, why are you here when you can do this yourself? And then she proceeded to answer her own question by saying, oh, you think you're crazy, right? Well yeah, um, maybe it wouldn't be the first time somebody has suggested that, <laughs> you know? Um. so uh, we had an intriguing little session and she left me saying please don't spend any more money on seeking out your guides just talk to them out loud just in your head whatever just talk to them she said that after proceeding to take my $200 for our session did I listen no I sure did not listen at that time I was still very skeptical and I still felt kind of crazy so about six months later I had another opportunity to sit down with another psychic medium and this beautiful woman she held my hand she gently assured me that I was not going crazy and that this was a waste of money and she told me to go home (laughs) she refused to take my money and I suppose I only really took about three minutes of her time when I was planning on an hour-long session She was very direct with me and she just told me point blank, go home to talk to my guides and to write. She told me to get it all out of my head and onto paper. And so I left and I never went back to another medium or psychic because when she told me that I needed to go home and that I needed to get it out of my head and on paper, I recognized immediately that was my brother Blake. When things got heavy and when times got hard, that was what he always said to me. When we were little kids, he always said, you got to get it out of your head and get it on paper. So I've always been a fan of journaling, poetry, processing my experiences and feelings through my writing. I've always loved the physical act of putting my pen to paper. But I've always been really private about my processing and about my writing. But I knew, I knew that when she told me that, that that wasn't her speaking. I knew that she was channeling, and I knew that she was channeling my brother Blake verbatim. So that time, I listened, and I never went back to another psychic medium. And I continued to still work with that Sankalpa for a little over another year, even after my experience with the two professional psychics. I am divinely guided and divinely cared for. This Sankalpa, it served me and it held me and I worked with it for three years. I worked the san Sankalpa until I could literally hear the voices of both of my brothers, my grandparents, my guides, other people's guides and ancestors. I didn't stop working with the Sankalpa until I was certain that I wasn't going crazy. So to give you some context, I really didn't stop my work with the Sankalpa until the very beginning of 2020, right before the pandemic really. So it was about that time that my Sankalpa began to evolve yet again. And it began to evolve into the Sankalpa that I'm currently working on now. And this is my most heartfelt desire right now in this exact moment. And this very heartfelt desire, this very Sankalpa, is what really provoked my journey here with all of you and with this Illuminating the Shadow podcast. So, my Sankalpa now is, I am actively transmuting my pain and grief into something healing, something that guides, inspires, and serves others. And I am. I am very much still working on the Sankalpa. So, just to give you a little bit of context, at the time that my Sankalpa evolved into this one, I was already about three and a half years deep into my own grief process after losing my brother Blake. At this point, embracing my grief, utilizing my coping skills and talking about it had become sort of a lifestyle. I began to speak about my grief. I began to speak about my processes and I started to share my experience pretty openly with those that I felt comfortable sharing around and those that I felt comfortable to. And I began to see that in sharing my story, that there was something unexpected happening just below the surface of my experience. I was embracing my story and I was able to draw out the strength in my own vulnerability. And I was actively accepting my experiences and my processes and in doing so, I was healing my own broken heart. So this Sankalpa, it held me it supported me, and later in 2020 when I lost my baby brother Cole, just four and a half years after the loss of Blake, they were both 26, and in those four and a half short years, I lost, I lost both of my sweet brothers to depression. Both of them I lost at their own hands and at their own will. Both of their deaths seemed so preventable. (sighs) Sorry. (sighs) With something like suicide, I think we have this tendency, we have this tendency to look at it as preventable, as unnatural. Maybe we say things like they left us too soon or it was all such a horrible tragedy. And at a time I held those beliefs too. In fact, I clung to them. I really believed that it was my responsibility to care for all my siblings as I had. And as I entertained this belief, I thought maybe if just one thing had been slightly different they'd still be here. I tortured myself, running through all the possible scenarios in my head. All the what ifs, all those tiny and slight little instances where maybe if I had done something just slightly different that Blake would still be here and that Cole would still be here. I now understand death differently and I don't hold these same beliefs to be true anymore because in my experience they aren't. I now understand that death is a natural part of life. All right. I understand that grief work It is a most sacred burden, but it is sacred. Grief isn't something you heal, or you rise above, or that you get over. No, grief is something you learn to carry with you. And eventually, as you learn to carry your burdens of grief, you realize that they reflect love. And so maybe you start to carry on with a sense of pride. Maybe you start to carry that burden of grief with a sense of pride. So I learned to see my process of grief as holy, as sacred work. It is the sacred act of carrying on and of loving somebody so deeply, even in their absence, when they aren't physically there to hold you or to love you back. Grief, as I understand it now, grief is love and that love It's confused, it's misplaced, it's unfocused in the physical absence of the individual that you long for and when you're grieving. And it, it takes quite a while to see past the pain, to see past the hurt of it all, and really to even be able to consider grief as love. But I can assure you that I know grief is love. And so I repeat to myself, I am actively transmuting my pain and grief into something healing, into something that guides, inspires, and serves others. And I am. I am very much still working on the Sankalpa. The Sankalpa has guided me through furthering my studies of yoga, through what ended up being a 500-hour yoga teacher training program adventure, (laughs) My grief work has led me to some scary and some exciting places. My grief work has led me here to this adventure in podcasting. My grief work has led me to lead a workshop, which was the final project for my yoga teacher training. And as terrifying as it was, it was also exhilarating. My grief work led me to create a full-on brief toolbox that I presented as a workshop to my Sangha and to my yoga friends. That work with the workshop, it was so special to me. I put my whole heart into that workshop. I spent months just diving in deep and fine-tuning what I thought I knew. With that workshop, I saw how it supported others while also simultaneously supporting myself. And at one point in that workshop, I had the entire group recite my grief work Sankalpa right back to me as I offered it to them during a really beautiful meditation practice. I had this amazing opportunity to not only share my experience, but to physically embody my Sankalpa. I am actively transmuting my pain and grief into something healing something that guides, inspires, and serves others. And I am. I am very much still working on the Sankalpa. And after that workshop, I thought, oh snap girl, (laughs) you are gonna need to get you a new Sankalpa. Like, I've never brought one to life this fast. What, right? Oh no, oh no, I was wrong. (laughs) So very shortly, after completing my yoga program, it was maybe two weeks, um, wrapping up that whole experience with the grief work and with the Sankalpa and with the physical embodiment of my work, right? I still found myself once again in that deep, dark place of hopelessness, that place of depression. Here I am wrestling with my grief again. Yep. Even though I have this delightful little grief toolkit, all printed out, ready for use, just in the other room. I found myself stagnant, stuck, wallowing in my own depression again. It was the one year anniversary of my baby brother Cole's passing. And it was probably about two weeks after I had that thought, damn, I'm gonna need a new Sankalpa after this. And then it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Bam, I'm right back there right back in the fucking belly of this fucking beast fucking again right facing my darkness and even with all the information from my workshop still fresh in my memory even though i had the physical and tangible resources and tools to really support me right yet here i found myself deep deep in this dark hole back in my personal hell my own little abyss i had all of these tools And yet, I knew, I knew that there was nothing else for me to do, there was nothing else for me to do, but to sit, but to sit in that discomfort, to soak myself in my grief, to experience it fully, intensely, and in all of its rawness, right? So there was literally nothing else for me to do. And I felt this. And so I sat there. And I began to realize that although the Grief Workshop did, in fact, embody my Sankalpa, my work with that Sankalpa is not done, not even close. I am actively transmuting my pain and grief into something healing, into something that guides and and inspires and serves others. And I am. I am very much still working on the Sankalpa. This journey through this podcast experience is very much my own personal effort to really embrace myself more fully and more authentically. And in doing so, to really embody my sankalpa and my grief work even more so. I'm learning to really honor and to embrace myself. I'm learning that I must also own my own narrative and really embrace my story and the journey leading me here. I'm learning that there is power in my voice and in myself as i express myself and there's medicine in my story and it's time to share that medicine this journey leading me here has also guided me through my own doubt my feelings of darkness overwhelming despair and regret trauma and immeasurable grief but now now i feel so called to embark on this really scary journey right like this is this is scary (laughs) really scary journey of sharing my experiences with you right now and through this podcast I feel not only called I feel moved to act I feel moved to respond I feel obligated to respond to take my experiences, to take my heartbreak, to take my struggles, and to do something so loving and constructive with this bullshit hand that I bends out right. I need to honor them. I need to honor myself. I need to honor my brothers and their memory by talking about this, and I do that by sharing these experiences with you. It's scary. It's terrifying, but it's also strangely and surprisingly liberated, and I feel not only called to share with you now, I feel moved to act. I feel obligated to respond because life is fucking hard. This human shit is fucking hard. And to be honest with you, I really don't think that this crazy world that we're living in is going to slow down anytime soon. And we shouldn't have to feel like we need to navigate this dark abyss alone because now that we're here, And now that we found each other, on this journey we call life, I've got you and I know you have me. And we can sift the gold out of this shit together. So whatever darkness you are navigating, you don't have to walk it alone. I tell myself I am actively transmuting my grief and my pain into something healing, something that guides, inspires, and serves others. And I am, and I am trying really, really fucking hard to do just that. (sighs) Thank you. I wanna thank you for allowing me this opportunity, for allowing me this opportunity to really stand in my truth and to do the scary, uncomfortable things alongside you. I wanna thank you for holding this gentle space for me as I hold gentle space for you on our journeys together. I want to thank you for not shying away from the really fucking hard shit. And I promise you that this hard work and this discomfort and the lessons that follow it are worth it. And those experiences, those experiences of disappointment, of hurt, and of grief, well, they aren't in vain. And our pain doesn't have to inhibit and hold us back. We can transmute it. We can honor where we are. We can honor where we've been. We can honor our past loved one's memories. And we can try to look at these little obstacles as little roadblocks, as stepping stones that are leading us, leading us to where we are going. All right. So I really hope that this episode of Illuminating the Shadow podcast resonates with you. And I really hope that you got something out of me sharing these experiences with you. And if this episode served you today, well, I invite you to hit that follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future content from Illuminating the Shadow. And if you are ready to implement or embrace a Sankalpa in your own practice, well, then I invite you to check out my bonus episode that accompanies this one and in which we'll explore Sankalpas a bit deeper and in which I'll guide you through the active process of developing and cultivating your very own working Sankalpa. So stay tuned. Until next time. This is Illuminating the Shadow with your host and guide, Britt Hampton, and I am here to tell you that there is power in your voice and there is medicine in your story. Until next time.